0: Our Palm Sunday message today comes from Matthew chapter 21. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 826. 826. We're reading from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. This is Matthew's account of the triumphal entry of Christ. Starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethlehem, To the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a breast of burden. The whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I felt prompted after our prayer time to put a little bit of a tag onto the end of what I said about God absorbing all of the rejection for his people. Hear Hear that in the context that I probably should have said it. He absorbed all of the rejection for his people, even when his people sin. You hear that? It's it's easy to understand. It's easy to think that if, if you feel like you're doing it right. But where you need to hear that is when you sin, is when in attitude or action you do something that you know does not bring glory to the Father. Whether you just thought it or said it, it doesn't matter, or did it. If you're in Christ, the promise of the gospel is that all of the rejection has already been spent on Christ. And so you can come to the Father. You can come freely to the Father with no fear of rejection as you confess your sin. And I hope it drives us there. I hope, I hope we don't, don't come because we fear rejection. That's not the gospel. That's not the promise of the gospel. The gospel is we can come and confess. Well, that leads me a bit into what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus, the King. But one of the things to preface that I wanted to say is that we are in a unique time in all of history. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that flippantly because I know my own heart and I know your heart and one of the dangers of our hearts even in Christ is that we want everything to revolve around us and so we tend to want to think everything is the most important thing when it involves us. And so to say that this is the most important time in all of history is no small thing to say. We are in what the Bible would call the last days. But be careful about that term because last days have been going on for 2,000 years. And when I say we are in the most important time in all of history, these last 2,000 years or so since the coming of Christ are, in fact, the most unique times in all of human history. The coming of Jesus, the coming of the King, Inaugurated that time. Jesus is not a king only, but he rather is the king. The king of all of the universe. He as I said last week, I spent some time as I came to the end of Romans chapter one and talking about Paul and reiterating all that we had talked about, trying to drive home the fact that um, Paul didn't believe that Jesus was a sectarian God. In other words, just for one slice of the world or one slice of time. But he believed, and all of the New Testament writers believed, that Jesus was no tribal king. He was the king of the universe, the king, the king, not one king among many, but the king, the king over all kings, particularly the king over all earthly kings. And so this morning, the title is not insignificant. We are talking about the king, the king of the universe. The unique claim of biblical Christianity is that he's a universal king. He's an absolutely unique king, a good king, if you will. He's a good king who comes offering amnesty to a rebellious people. Now, one day that unique window will close The unique window of this unique time will come to a close. And the time for amnesty will be over. The time to switch sides, if you will, will be done. But the reason this is a unique time is because that's the time we live. A time when the king of the universe, who has every right to have turned his back and done nothing, comes. And he comes with an offer of amnesty to all who will hear it. That's what, that's what Matthew chapter 21 is about. It's about that unique time and the unique claims of that king because that king came in a way during this time that will one day change. But for now, he is the king And we want to talk about the way he reveals himself as the king and about this unique time in history. And so I want to just take time to look at four different ways, four different ways in this text that he declares, I am the king and I am a unique king and I'm a king for all nations. First one is he comes riding on a donkey. You've heard the story. My wife leaned over to me as Pastor Jason was reading the text that I just read that to the children before they came in. We've heard this story, we, we have this picture in our minds probably if you've been around the church much and even what the children did, the idea that on that day he came riding in Jerusalem and he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, if you will. And the crowds were alongside, laying down palm branches, laying down robes, crying Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus sent out two of his disciples previous to this to go and find that donkey and bring that donkey. And and the reason why, why did he come this way? Why on a donkey? Why have two of his disciples go and tell the person that the Lord has need of your animal and bring that animal and ride into Jerusalem that way? It's because Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Listen, listen to it. There's two parts to this prophecy. And I want you to hear the first one in verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. The fowl of a donkey. Now that promise, in many ways, was to Israel. So some would say, yes, your king is coming, but this is the king of Israel that's coming. The king of Israel. I've just said he's a universal king, and we'll come to that in a minute. But but for now, he comes on a donkey, this king. Why? Because I think the first coming of Christ will be different than the second. In the first coming, he comes humbly, he comes lowly, if you will. And, and the context of that is that he comes full of suffering. He comes and he pictures that in the way that he comes. Because in that day and age, when a king rode into to his country or among his people, he didn't ride on a donkey. And so the prophecy is fulfilled that the first coming of Jesus is humble and lowly and full of suffering. And that's why he came. And the reason that he came that way is so that he could fulfill the next verse of prophecy from Zechariah. Look at it. In verse 10, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace, not to Israel, but peace to the nations. And then it says, his rule shall be from sea to sea. So yes, he was king of Israel, but he was more than just a king of Israel. He was the king of the universe, and his reign is to be from sea to sea, and he will speak peace to the nations. He came uniquely, and he came not just as a Jewish king, but the king. And he came lowly and full of suffering, so that in fact he could speak peace. Peace to the nations, that the nations could have peace again with their God, that he would come, as we've already said, and take on the rejection that they deserved upon himself so that they would not experience it, that the nations would not experience it. Those who looked to him and trusted that he had borne their rejection That's the promise of the gospel, and that's why Jesus came on a donkey, so that he, in fact, could do that. He could make that reconciliation happen. Now, he wouldn't have had to come that way. He wouldn't have had to come that way. He could have come the way that the book of Revelation talks. This is how he could have come. Listen to what it says about his second coming about when he comes at the end of the offer of amnesty, at the end of the offer for people to switch sides and to let him bear their rejection from the Father. This is the way he could have come, and this is the way he will one day come. Listen, it says, Then I saw, John is writing in Revelation, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But not now, not yet. He comes now with an offer of amnesty. He comes in a lowly way to make possible that amnesty. And then secondly, secondly, he declares himself that he is the king by cleansing the temple. First, by riding in on a donkey. But secondly, he declares he is the king by cleansing the temple. You find the reference to that in verses 12 and 13. Look at it again. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. What's that all about? It almost seems like his personality changes as he enters the temple. He comes in lowly and riding on a donkey, and then he's in the temple overturning the tables. What is it about? It's a reminder, again, of the gospel. It's a reminder, again, I think, of the fact that Jesus has a passion for the Father's glory. He has a passion for the Father's glory. Particularly, he has a passion for the Father's glory to save a people. That's what this incident is about. It's about reaffirming the the Father's passion to save a people from every tribe and kindred and nation. Again, it's a declaration. He's not just the king of Israel or a king of Israel, but he's the king of the universe that comes for all people. Context of this is out of Isaiah chapter 56. The, the reference to, to the fact of making my house a den of robbers, not a house of prayer comes right out of that text in Isaiah 56. And that particular context of the broader context of Isaiah 56 is the coming of the kingdom of God. And so it's an affirmation that I am the king. I've come to bring in the kingdom of God. But this kingdom is not just a Jewish kingdom. Not just a a, a king of Israel, but I'm a global king. And part of what we see here, that he's a king for all peoples. If you read Isaiah 56, 7, it says, For my house shall be a, a house of prayer for all people. It doesn't have that in Matthew. But that's the greater context. That's the greater extension of that verse. For all peoples. And what had happened here? What had happened in the temple over time is the temple had become not a temple, not a place where Gentiles, see, he, he came into the outer court. That's, that's the only part that Gentiles could come into. And what had happened is they'd made a mockery. They'd made a mockery of that outer court by selling and all the things that went on. In fact, one person described it, it's kind of like the mixture of a county fair and the pit of the stock exchange all in one. You've all seen pictures of what it's like on the stock exchanges. People are shouting out and buying and selling and all of that. The chaos of all of that. And to put on top of that, take um, Wall Street and the stock exchange and put thousands of animals in the middle of that being slaughtered. And that's the scene that you get. That's the desecration that had come to the place that was for the Gentiles. Most believed in Israel that when Jesus, or excuse me, when the Messiah came, that in fact he would do away with the Gentiles. He would cleanse the temple of the Gentiles. No longer would they have to put up with the Gentiles, those unclean ones. And Jesus turned it on his head as he enters into this outer part of the temple where only the Gentiles could come. And rather than push them out, He pushes out those that want to push them out, who don't want them to have access, who want to deny them what God wants for all peoples. That's what was happening. A passion for God's glory is why Jesus went into the temple to do what he did. For the sake of the nations, for the sake of all peoples, this incident happened. Jesus was committed to what the Father was committed to. The glory of the Father was saving a people. That's why you read often in the Old Testament, those who pray in the Psalms and other places, for the sake of your name, blot out my iniquity. For the sake of your name. See, God had chosen to save a people and so people who understood that God had chosen to save a people would appeal to his very name not being sullied as they confessed their sin. As they knew their need they looked to him and said God for the sake of your name don't let your name be sullied. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing as he entered the temple. He didn't want the name of the father to be sullied. And his desire To bring a people from every tribe and every kinder and every nation unto himself as king. Thirdly, he declares that he is the king by healing. We read on a little bit farther in the text, and again it talks about in verse 14 and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. And then he goes on to quote scripture. We'll come to that point. But the part that says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Again, that was a declaration that he's the king. Remember the story of John the Baptist? If you have your Bible open, just turn back to to Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. There you read the story of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was put in prison. And uh, it's, it's really good, I think, that this text is in Scripture. Because John the Baptist was put in a difficult place. And, and his faith began to waver. <laughs> he, he began to struggle. Can you imagine him the, the difficult circumstance he found in himself? And he began to wonder, did I get this right Did I get this right? And he he even goes to ask the question, or has others go to ask the question of Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? Remember that story? Are you the one or should we wait for another? And look at what Jesus' response to him was. (coughs) He says there, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. But what does he send back? He doesn't just say, yes, I'm the one, but he he sends back what he knows will register the best and be the most helpful for John because he knew that John knew his Old Testament and he knew that John would know the passage in Isaiah chapter 35. And so he refers to a text in the Old Testament when he gives that response. And this is what the text says. Verse 4 of Isaiah 35. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Can you imagine as the light came on for John, as that response came back to him? Say to those who have an anxious heart, and certainly John had an anxious heart. Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. So again, again Jesus affirms that he is the king. He is the king in his healing, and he heals those who come to him. And what we see in that is a foretaste of what one day he will perfectly do. He, the scripture talks about Jesus healing all of their diseases, um, and one day that will be true. One day the hope of heaven is that every disease will be healed. there will be no, no longer here. For now a foretaste. For now a foretaste to declare, I'm the king one day fully when his kingdom's established. So three ways, and then a fourth. Four ways. The fourth way that Jesus declares that he is the king. The king. His affirmation of the children. Again, he goes back to scripture. Again, he refers back to the Old Testament, to those prophecies that were spoken and the psalms that were written. And in this sense, he goes to Psalm 8. And that's what the reference is. As we come here in Matthew chapter um, nineteen, or or excuse me, in Matthew chapter twenty-one, this is this is the reference. He says, "When the when the religious leaders, it's, it's a juxtaposition that we find there because it says that they were amazed at the wonderful things that he did, and they saw the children crying out in the temple, and yet they were indignant." Isn't that a sad story? It's a sad story of the religious leaders and the blindness. But his response to them when they said, don't you hear the children? In other words, can't you quiet the children? Jesus comes back to him and says and uses this reference, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. In other words, Jesus really says, I planned it this way. I planned it this way. That's the way it should be. I'm the king. He doesn't doesn't back away from it. He doesn't waffle on it. He just says, this is the way it was planned. And that's what Psalm 8 talked about. If you read Psalm 8, in fact, he goes farther in this declaration about being the king. He, He goes even farther than where he's been because Psalm 8 is a psalm about God. And what he lifts up out of there, he says, out of the mouths of babies and infants will come praise. That's what Psalm 8 is about. Will come praise to God. And that psalm ends like this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. The declaration that I'm God. I am God. I am the king, but I also am God, the God. He didn't back away from the religious leaders. He didn't soften what he was saying. In fact, he amplified it there as he made that particular statement. So four ways Jesus declares, I am the king. And this king has come for all of the nations. All of the peoples of the earth have access That's a wonderful promise. One of my my greatest fears, part of the reason that I I spent time last week on it as we came to the end of Romans chapter one and now we come today to reiterate the fact that he's not a king but the king is that we live in a world. We live in a world today that that really pushes back against any kind of statement like that. Just as they did in Jesus' day. But they push back at that. Now, maybe they'll push back and become irritated in the pushback. Or maybe they'll just pat you on the back and say, well, that's nice for you to believe that. But either way they do it, they don't believe it. This is the point at which Christianity is unique. And those who claim to be Christian, those who claim to follow Christ, are not just following a tribal God, one God among many. If that were the case, it'd be no problem. If that were the case, there'd probably be no pushback. But it is this claim, it is this claim that he is the king. And young people, you live in a world that is so filled with this. It's the air you breathe. Um, Other generations have known it not to be this way so much. But your generations don't. That's all you've ever known is a world that believed that way. And so I say to you, hear, hear that he is the king. The king. The king of the whole universe. There's no king above him. There's no king equal to him. He's God. So the question we ask as we close this morning is, do we realize the uniqueness of our time? Do we realize it? Do we really realize how unique this time is? We don't know how long it'll go. It's gone some 2,000 years now. The last days have extended for 2,000 plus years. They might go another 2,000. They might go another 20,000. They might go another week. We don't know any of that. But it's a unique time. And what makes it unique is that in the span of of all time previous and, and all eternity future, it is a momentarily brief time. And it is a time that will come to an end. There will be an end. There will be an end to the time of switching sides. There will be an end to the time of... Of receiving amnesty, and what we read out of Revelation will come to pass, and it will be over. Have you accepted the offer of amnesty from the king? If you have this morning, and I would venture to say the majority who are gathered here have, rejoice in it. Have you switched sides while there is yet time, while he yet rides on a donkey? because when he steps on the white horse the end of that time comes he's lowly and full of suffering for us this morning as we sang two different songs that talked about his reign as we as we went to our offering time we we read about his reign on the white horse. And uh, it's an amazing reign that will happen. Jesus will reign where the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. He shall reign in glory, crowned with grace and might. Bless his name and praise our sovereign king. He shall reign forever with his chosen bride and all the earth shall sing that Jesus is king but not yet, not now in this unique time. And so I've chosen that we will close with Psalm 62 because it better pictures this unique time. And in this unique time, this is what we sing. I set my gaze on God alone and trust him completely. With every day, pour out my soul and he will prove his mercy. Though life is but a fleeting breath, a sigh too deep to measure, my King has crushed the curse of death and I am His forever. Has Has He crushed the curse of death for you? I hope it's so. Let's stand and sing.
2: My soul finds rest in God alone, my soul in my salvation. A fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me. I'll fix my heart on righteousness, I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, oh praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward, everlasting, ever fair. My gaze on God alone and trust in Him completely. With every day pour out my soul and He will prove His mercy. Though life is but a bleeding breath, a sigh too deep to measure, my King has crushed the curse of death.
1: there. Father, we affirm this morning that you are the King and the God of all the universe. But more importantly, Father, we affirm that you are our God. We accept your terms of peace, your offer of amnesty. And we are so grateful, Father, that we now have changed sides and the promise that if God be for us, who can be against us successfully is ours. We thank you. We pray we will go In your peace this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.